Hey, my name's Steve. I'm one of the pastors here at Genesis. I'm really excited for today. I hope you are too. Uh, If you have your Bibles, open them to Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1 is where we're going to spend most of the day. If you don't have a Bible with you, there should be one of these on the floor around you somewhere. It's page 699 in that Bible, almost made page 700, not quite. Uh, We uh, are in a family service today, as Jerry said. Uh, If there are kids in the room, kids, raise your hand. All right, kids, I hope you picked up one of these on the way in. This is our family service uh, notes and fill in the blanks. So if you didn't get one of these, you should run back to the back of the room and grab one because we're going to fill out this map in a minute. And then as we go through some of the verses, there's some verses for you to fill in the blank there too. Uh, adults, maybe you could do that too. Uh, it helps us to learn scripture when we do fill in the blank things. And um, geography is going to be a really important part of this service and a really important part actually of this series as we're starting uh, kind of a soft launch, we've called it, of this brand new series called In the Flesh. We're calling it a soft launch because we only have a few minutes before we get to baptism. But what we're doing is over the next 13 weeks, we're going to walk together chronologically through the life of Jesus. So why are we calling it in the flesh? Well, in John 1, uh, the apostle John writes, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was God in the beginning. So John says that the word is a he, the word is a person. And then in John 1.14, he goes on to tell us that the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. That, That John calls Jesus the word, that he is the word of God. But Jesus became flesh. Because we believe God's word is true, we believe these words which speak of a savior who came to earth from heaven. Jesus came to earth from heaven. And what makes him so unique? What is it that makes Jesus so special? Why are we still talking about this guy more than 2,000 years later? Why are we still talking about this book of kind of obscure writings 2,000 years after it happened? Well, we're talking about Jesus because the Bible tells us that while Jesus was fully God, he was fully human. He had this unique thing that nobody else in history has ever had, that he was fully human, he was fully God. What does it mean? To be fully human. You know, the, uh, when Jesus walked the earth, his disciples understood him to be human because they walked with him every day, but they had a hard time accepting that he was God. And here, 2,000 years later, we're in the church when, when those of us who are Christians, we come to worship him. We have a, no problem accepting that Jesus is God, but sometimes we forget what it means that he was fully human. What does it mean that he was fully human? It means he had no natural advantage over us. That even though he's fully God, he took on flesh he took on skin and he came to earth as this baby named Jesus and he, he became a man. He, he, the Bible says that he grew in favor and in stature, or he grew in stature and in favor with God and men. That uh, he became a man and he gave his life for us. And all along the way, he showed us how to live and he showed us what it meant to have a full relationship with God. There's so much that we can learn from the life of Jesus. His life is such a deep well. And so this new series is gonna take us all the way into December. Why? Why is this so important? Well, because we have this very well-preserved record of this man named Jesus. We have this record of what he did, not just in his life, but what he did in ministry. He is our model for life and ministry. And so spending extended time together, studying his life, we'll trace the steps of Jesus from the beginning. Well, we'll begin today with his baptism, actually, all the way through his resurrection and ascension into heaven. And in addition to talking about these events on Sunday, as Jerry mentioned, we'd really love you to join a group and be talking about them with a small group of people uh, around dinner or around a table or just even in the living room across the hall and uh, going through these lessons outside of Sunday morning. But in addition to that, we've got a reading plan for you to follow along with. At the Info Hub, when you leave, you'll find there's a uh, 
uh, 13-week reading plan that you can pick up. And every week, you can be reading uh, Scripture in anticipation of what you're going to hear on Sunday morning. Now, here are some goals with our study over the next 13 weeks. Here's what we want to do. We want to know Jesus better. Uh, We want to become more like him. That's our goal. And then to be better prepared to tell the greatest story ever told. I don't know if you know this, this this book has the greatest story ever told. And some of us have been Christians for a long time, and we don't know how to tell that story. We don't even know how to tell our friends uh, what we see in this Jesus. So today, uh, we're going to begin by looking at the importance of obedience in the life of Jesus. Now, before you check out, before you think, okay, I get it, Jesus was the most obedient man who ever lived, and I'm not obedient, I get it, Steve. What I want to talk about is why was obedience so important to Jesus? I mean, in the last few years of his life, Now, most of what's covered in the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, in the last three years of his life, um, we see this man who is singularly focused on bringing glory to his Father, God in heaven, uh, carrying out his mission. So what is it about Jesus that made him so obedient? That's what we're going to talk about later in this service. Jesus was the most obedient man who ever walked the earth. He knew who he was, and he knew what he came to earth to do. He walked faithfully with God all the days of his life, and that's what's meant by obedience. Jesus was obedient in all things. He never sinned. He was obedient as a child. He was obedient as a teen. He was obedient as an adult. Why is that important? Well, because we have children and teens and adults in this service. All of us are probably one of those things. And so uh, we can learn something from Jesus. And, And today, we'll see how he was obedient in his baptism, his willingness to step into the mission that his father God had for him. Now, if you're a Christian, you're called to a life of obedience too. You are called to walk faithfully with the Lord, modeling your life after Jesus each and every day. But that kind of obedience is only possible as we better understand who we are and what mission we're called to do. And so I said geography is going to be an important part of this of this lesson. So let's get out that map, kids, if you've got it. For adults, we'll have it on the screen. And what we're going to do, I'm really going to need your help because it's one thing to look at a map and really understand it. It's another thing to really get involved in the map, to really become the map. And so what I want to do today is I'm going to have you guys become the map. Uh, Not like in a Dora the Explorer kind of way, like I'm the map, I'm the map, I'm the... Not that. Although we'll be a little bit like that. But what we're going to do is we're going to fill out this map, and then at the same time, I'm going to give you all roles to play on this map. And so we're going to start at the very bottom of the map, or uh, actually right in the middle. That second dot there is Bethlehem. Uh, Bethlehem is the further southmost city in Israel we're going to talk about today. And so uh, Israel will kind of be the center. You guys will be actually in the nation of Israel, uh, the mainland. So what I want to do is the back third of the room, uh, Jeremy, uh, Ben, you guys on back, you guys are going to be Bethlehem. And so when we talk about Bethlehem, uh, that's where, what happened in Bethlehem? Does anybody know what happened in Bethlehem? Jesus was born there, right? And so we, we're going to be a baby crying. So when you guys, when we talk about Bethlehem, I just want to see your best baby crying. Go, like that. Back of the room. All right, that's good. Good, good, good job, Bethlehem. Okay, now we've also got uh, this other place, Egypt. Egypt is west of Israel and south. And so uh, we're going to, Egypt, you're going to be in this section over here. And so uh, Sam and Alyssa, you guys on back, you guys are going to be Egypt. And what you're going to do when we talk about Egypt is, the only thing I know about Egypt is the Bengal song, Walk Like an Egyptian. And so uh, you guys are going to do that when we talk about Egypt. Everybody walk like an Egyptian back there. Okay, you're Egypt back there. All right. And just north of Egypt is the Mediterranean Sea. Mediterranean Sea, what you guys are going to do, you're going to be waves. The sea has waves. So you guys practice. Okay, there's the Mediterranean Sea over there. And then, uh, uh, let's see here, Nazareth, 
Nazareth is going to be in the very far north of Israel. Uh, Nazareth, we'll talk about that in a minute. Uh, so Nazareth, uh, this row up here, Emma, your row right across here and on up. You guys are Nazareth. Nazareth uh, is where... Uh, Jesus' parents, Joseph and Mary, lived. Joseph was a carpenter, so Nazareth, we're gonna, we're gonna pound with a hammer, just go like that. All right, that's Nazareth. Nazareth is up there. Now, in the middle of this front section is Jerusalem. Uh, Jerusalem was where Jesus always went for the festivals. Festivals are celebrations, and so those of you who are in Jerusalem, kind of in the middle of the room there, uh, you've got, some of you have some noisemakers under your seats, so you can grab one of those, and uh, when we talk about Jerusalem, uh, we're going to celebrate. So Jerusalem, uh, grab those, and let's celebrate Jerusalem. Let's celebrate the festivals. All right, there's Jerusalem in the middle of the room. Now, I haven't forgotten about you guys. All right, over here on this side, over here on this side, uh, in, the, uh, in the north Right up here is the Sea of Galilee. And so uh, Ted and Ann, from you guys on up, you guys are going to be the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee, what happened there was, you may remember, there was a storm there one time, and Jesus calmed the storm. So you guys are going to be raindrops. Just be raindrops. Sea of Galilee right here. Okay, and then the next back, uh, the next three rows back, you guys are the Jordan River. Uh, Jordan is where they always went fishing, so let's just make a fish face. <laughs> All right, good. That's the Jordan River. <laughs> and in the very back, the very back of the room, very back back there, can I hear you guys in the very back of the room? Uh, you guys are the Dead Sea, so you just play dead. All right. All right, so here's what we're going to do. We are very quickly uh, going to tell the story of Jesus' first 30 years. Uh, we don't know a whole lot about Jesus' childhood. Uh, we don't know a whole lot about his parents, Mary and Joseph. We do know that their last name wasn't Christ. All right, Jesus Christ is not his name. Christ is a title that was given to him. Uh, it was not Joseph and Mary Christ, and they had their little baby Jesus. All right, so we know that. We, we, we know that he was born in where? In Bethlehem. Bethlehem. He was born in Bethlehem, right? Jesus, uh, Joseph, Mary, and, uh, Joseph and Mary went to Bethlehem. Um, now, we're not going to talk a lot about his birth. One, because I don't want to hear the babies crying anymore. Uh, but two, because... Um, we're going to talk about Jesus' birth actually after the series is over because that's the Christmas series. And so we won't talk a whole lot about that. But uh, Jesus is born, and it's a big celebration. Uh, but then uh, we know that a couple of years, that this family probably will remain there in Bethlehem for a couple of years. Because what we see is later the Magi come and visit. Now, we've talked about this before. The Magi probably didn't come and visit while Jesus was a newborn. In fact, in Scripture, it says they came to visit the child. And the child is kind of a word that they would use for two years old and up. And so uh, it's possible that uh, Mary and Joseph and Jesus stayed in Bethlehem uh, for about two years. But then uh, after that, King Herod heard about this king who had been born. And so he ordered the massacre of all baby boys in Bethlehem, two years old and younger, and an angel appears in a dream to Joseph, and, uh, or, uh, and the Lord tells him through this dream that they've got to flee from Bethlehem over to Egypt. And they're walking like an Egyptian over here. So they go to Egypt. Uh, some suspect that they lived in Egypt for one to two years. Uh, Joseph eventually has another dream that tells him that Herod has died, that King Herod, the one that was trying to kill all the babies in Bethlehem, has died. And so it's free to go back uh, to Israel, but on their way back to Bethlehem, uh, they learn that Herod's son is now the ruler of the area around Bethlehem, and so they decide instead they're going to come up to Nazareth. So that's where they go, right? So they go to Nazareth. Now, we know he's going to grow up. Jesus is going to grow up in Nazareth. Um, Luke records that Jesus grew and became strong. 
there, that, that Jesus was filled with wisdom and had the grace of God upon him. We believe that while he was in Nazareth, Jesus grew up like any other boy. Like any good Jewish boy, he would have studied the scriptures, the Torah. Um, he would have learned the family trade probably as a carpenter. Now, we, th- we think about this as a hammer. He's probably not a wood carpenter. He's probably a stonemason. We'll talk about that later. Um, but he would have learned that. He would come from a devout Jewish family. And every year, they would have returned to Jerusalem for the major Jewish festivals. They go down... Up, they always say up. They go up to Jerusalem, even though if you look at the map, it's, it is north from Bethlehem. But even with Nazareth, you would go up to Jerusalem because Jerusalem's on a higher elevation. So they go up to Jerusalem for all of the festivals. Now we have one story that occurred when Jesus was a kid, when he was 12 years old. The family went up to Jerusalem for these festivals. And it sounded like that, exactly like that. And uh, they left him behind. Like, <laughs> the son of God. They left him in Jerusalem uh, for these festivals. And uh, the family is on their way back to Nazareth. And, and um, they get about a day and a half journey or two days journey out and they realize, where's Jesus? They've got this. Now, it's not quite as bad as like if you um, forget that your kid's in the car seat and you go into Walmart or something. It's not quite like that because there is this huge caravan. And so it's possible that Mary and Joseph just thought, well, like he's with one, some of our family members, but they get two days, two days. And somebody's like, hey, uh, go ask Jesus what he wants for lunch. And uh, nobody can find him. And so they turn around, they go back to Jerusalem. They go back and they find him in the temple in Jerusalem. And he's sitting. I'm so glad I brought the noisemakers out right now. <laughs> He's sitting in the temple, and he's listening to the teachers, and you know what he's doing? He's asking questions. This is a great indicator of how Jesus learned the scriptures. He goes to the temple, and he's asking all these questions, and uh, the teachers of the temple were amazed at the kinds of questions that he asked, and when his parents finally got there and they found him, he said, "Didn't didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? And so Joseph, Mary, and Jesus returned to Nazareth. Yeah, and Luke records that Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and with men. And then other than that, we have no, rec- no more recorded information about Jesus after that, 12 years old. No more recorded information about Jesus until he's 30 years old. And so all we can do is look at Old Testament prophecies about this Messiah who was to come, and we can make some assumptions based on what we know about culture, that he would have continued in a study of the scriptures. We know that. That, that he grew in his relationship with his father in heaven. We can only assume that Jesus started putting the pieces together about his own life and his own role in the world. We have a, I have a very definite opinion of when that happened. We'll talk about that next week because I think it happened next week uh, in the story we talk about. And we don't know when, but at some time, we know Joseph passed away. Joseph died. What we see is from the time uh, of Jesus' baptism on, we never see Joseph. We see his mom and his brothers traveling together. And so Jesus probably took on the role of provider for his family. And this is going to explain some of the strife maybe that happens between him and his brothers and some of the things that we'll see later in this series. And so then around the age of 30, the father prompted Jesus to leave Nazareth and go down to the Jordan River. Jordan River's over here. All the fish over there. And this is where he first meets John's cousin, or uh, Jesus' cousin, a guy by the name of John the Baptist. John the Baptist was a prophet. He called people to repentance. Uh, he was down here in the Jordan, just north of the Dead Sea. Uh, they're all dead. Uh, baptizing people. And like Jesus, John was set apart for a unique mission from God. That John, even though he wasn't Jesus, he had a unique mission, and his mission was to prepare people and to point to Jesus. And so here's the text we're going to talk about today in Mark 1, 
uh, Mark 1, 9. Thanks for your help with that map, by the way. I hope kids got that all filled out, and thank you for uh, engaging me with that. Uh, Mark 1, 9. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Again, we know Jesus, this happened when he was about 30 years old. He came to John to be baptized. And, and so uh, we use this as one of the things that we teach when we teach about baptism. Uh, when we have the baptism class, which we had over the last two weeks for these people who are being baptized today. By the way, we have two this morning. We've got two in the second service. We've got another six or so at our Noblesville campus day, about 10 total today. And all of these people uh, heard this. I was going to say know this, but they at least heard it uh, from me or from someone else who was teaching the baptism class. There's three reasons we do baptism at Genesis. One is to follow the example of Jesus. That's what's going to happen here in Mark 1. Um, baptism, in fact, his baptism is detailed, how it happened, is detailed by three of the four Gospels. But the fact that he was baptized at the beginning of his ministry is captured in all four Gospels. Now think about this. What else is covered in all four Gospels? The only things I can think of that I know are covered in all four Gospels besides his baptism are the feeding of the 5,000 and his death and resurrection. So a pretty important moment in the life of Jesus, baptism is. So the second reason is to follow the command of Jesus. So we follow the example of Jesus. We follow the command of Jesus. Uh, in Matthew 28, 19, Jesus says, Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. Surely I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. That was what Jesus commanded us to do. And so those are the things to, to, uh, to make disciples and to baptize. So we follow the example of Jesus, we follow the command of Jesus, and finally the third thing is we identify with Jesus in our baptism. We identify. It happens after you make that decision to follow Jesus. You come and be baptized. You repent, you turn to Christ, um, and your sins are forgiven. You're ready to trust Jesus as your Savior and Lord, and then you're ready to follow him, and that's when you get baptized. And so for us, baptism is a, an outward symbol of an inner transformation that's already started. There's, there's this change that takes place in you inwardly, and baptism is the outward symbol of that. We're, we're baptized and buried with our sin, and then we're raised to new life in Christ. You're going to see that here in just a couple minutes. And your baptism is significant for you, but it's also a public statement. The reason we do it in front of the church family is because there's some accountability involved here. There's people that are watching you being baptized and knowing that you have made that commitment uh, to follow Jesus and to advance God's mission in this world. Now, why in the world would Jesus need to be baptized? In Mark 1, we see Jesus being baptized. He, he had no reason to re, have to repent from sin. Uh, he was sinless, so why be baptized? Well, if you read Matthew's account, you'll see that John, John the Baptist struggled with that too. Like, I'm not going to baptize you. You need to baptize me. But with his baptism, Jesus fulfilled his relationship with God. He fulfilled his relationship with God by obeying him even when it didn't make sense. You know, this idea of baptism is a, it's a public statement. It's a public ceremony. It's a public proclamation. It's like there's a whole relationship that happens when you fall in love. But until you have a wedding ceremony, people don't actually recognize you as being married, right? And so uh, if my wife, when we got engaged, if she just said, Steve, I'll marry you, but I don't want anybody to know about it. First of all, why would she say that? I mean, come on, look at me, right? <laughs> right? Right. Um, thank you, honey, for clapping. <laughs> I did not clear this with her first. Um, no, of course not. We wanted to stand up in front of everybody and tell all of our 11 friends and family that came to our wedding, right, sweetie? We wanted to tell everybody. We want everybody to know, and that's the same way with baptism is we wanted this pro pro proclamation. So with his baptism, Jesus fulfilled this relationship with God. He obeyed him even when it didn't make sense. He practiced obedience. Jesus, one of the ways that you become obedient is to practice obedience. Jesus saw his baptism as a way of advancing God's work and his mission. And then he also provided for us an example to follow. 
Verse 10, just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn apart and the spirit descending on him like a dove. Heaven is torn open, which is supposed to get our attention as readers, by the way. The fact that the clouds are torn open. This is Mark's way of saying something significant is happening when Jesus is baptized. Did other people see it? We don't know for sure who all saw it. We do know that today, whenever there's something that happens in the sky, everybody gets to see it on Instagram or Twitter, right? You get to see the eclipse when it happens from 58 people's news feeds. Um, you get to see when the sun was really bright orange last week. I don't know if you saw that from the forest fires and how many people took pictures of that. Man, we, when something happens in the sky, we always want to talk about it, right? And so in those days, something happened in the sky, people were talking about. We also know this idea of the heavens being torn open is captured again in all four counts of Scripture, of all, all four Gospels. All four of them talk about this idea that the heavens was torn open. It was kind of a big deal. What happened next? The Spirit of God descends like a dove on Jesus. Now, it wasn't a dove that descended on Jesus, like you might see in a painting. The Spirit of God descended like a dove on Jesus. Did other people see this? Well, uh, the Gospel of John records that John the Baptist actually saw it. And so maybe others did too. But for Jesus, this is his public anointing as God's Messiah, as, as the Savior of the world. And for Jesus, it was a reminder that he was never going to be alone. And from that moment on, uh, he had his Father God by his side. God's presence was, with, presence was with him. And it was also a reminder that he was God in the flesh. It was God's way of showing everyone that I am at work in this world, ready to make things right again through Jesus. And if that wasn't significant enough, look what, look what happens next in verse 11. And then a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love, and with you I am well pleased. Imagine what these words must have meant to Jesus. If you've ever been blessed by a parent, you know what this feels like. I remember one time, my dad and I used to work together for a while, and I remember one time, my, my dad and I had a great relationship growing up, we really did, but he had very high expectations for me. Um, if I got a B in class, he'd want to know, why did you get a B? Why didn't you get an A? How come you didn't work harder? What do I need to do? What do you need to do uh, to get an A? You know, when I, when I went to college, uh, he kind of chose where I was going to go to college, but then we, we reconciled all that. We're good. Don't worry about that. But, but there was one moment, one significant moment I remember my dad one time when we worked together, he walked into my office and he sat down and we, we didn't have anything on the agenda. We weren't planning to meet. He just sat down and he said, I just want you to know, son, you have met every expectation I ever had for you. I don't expect anything else of you in life. I just want you to know that I love you and uh, that you mean the world to me. And that was all he said. And my dad didn't talk like that a lot. And that is significant in my life, just remembering that to think, oh, yeah, I did. I did meet his expectations. I am who he hoped I would be. And Jesus had to hear that from his father. Imagine the weight of those words and what they meant to him. Let's not underestimate that. And parents, let's not underestimate what it might mean for you to bless your children. And how words like that may bless them and might even change the direction, may change their future. With you, I am well pleased. In other words, he said, I delight in you. I'm proud of you. Can you imagine hearing those words from your heavenly father? I mean, even if you never got to hear them from your earthly parents, what would it mean for you right now even just to hear those from your heavenly father? You're my son. You're my daughter. With you, I'm well pleased. I delight in you. Verse 12. At once, the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. <laughs> We're going to talk more about this next week. 
He was in the wilderness for 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and the angels attended him. This is a significant event in Jesus' life. Just think about this. He hears this voice from heaven. I love you, son. I'm well pleased with you. Now go into the wilderness and get tempted by Satan. So many times we think, when I accept Jesus, man, my life is going to be all up and to the right, right? Uh, When I get baptized, everything's going to be roses and unicorns and rainbows after that. And uh, what happened to Jesus was he gets this huge blessing, and then he's sent into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan for 40 days. And he's going to uh, have to rely in those 40 days on the scripture that he learned while he was growing up and on his father's words that he just spoke to him at his baptism for strength. But Jesus is obedient in all things. Not only in the wilderness is he obedient, but for the rest of his life on earth. So I said up front that I wanted to ask this question, why was Jesus obedient? And so in your notes, both kids and adults, I think you have this, uh, there's two reasons we see Jesus being obedient. Number one is this, he knew who he was. We call that his identity. He knew his identity. He was a son, he was loved, he was a child of God. He knew his identity, and because he knew his identity, he was able to be obedient. The second thing was he knew what he was called to do. He knew what he came to do, and that's called his mission. He knew he was called, and he'll find out here soon if he doesn't know already. He's called to give his life, to bring God's kingdom to earth, and to start a movement of disciple-making that continues today 2,000 years later. And in the same way, if you're a Christian, we are called to imitate Jesus in that. We are, uh, all of us who have made that commitment to follow Jesus are supposed to be imitators of Christ. In fact, that word Christian actually means little Christ's. We are supposed to be like little Jesuses. Well, I'm not little in stature, but, you know, like a little bit like Christ. So for us to be a little Christ, we need to obey his commands. We need to follow his example. And that means even being obedient and being baptized, as we've got a couple people that are going to do today. Uh, 1 John 2, 6 says this, Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. So if we're going to live as Jesus did, then like him, we need to understand what God says about our identity, who we are, and and what we're here for, what God says about our mission. And in those last few minutes here, let's just look at a couple of verses about our identity and our mission in Christ. 1 Peter 2.9 says, but you, talking to the church, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Man, there's so much in those three statements. We could cover that in a, a whole morning. Your God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. And as we baptize people today, we're going to see uh, two people, four if you stay all morning, uh, 10 if you go to both campuses. I don't know that you can do that. Um, But we're going to see 10 people today that have been called out of darkness and into light. And we're going to celebrate that today. Ephesians 2.19 says this, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. As Paul said, we're members of the family. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Think about that. The church that you sit in now has at its foundation these apostles and prophets that we read about in scripture. That's where it started. And every generation that's come is just built on that foundation. And someday our generation is going to pass away. And what we leave is what our kids are going to build on and what our grandkids are going to build on. The church we leave behind is what they're going to build on. That's what he's saying in this. That's part of our identity. In him. In Christ, the whole building is being joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now, what about our mission? 
our mission is summed up in a couple of verses, Matthew 28, 19 to 20. I already said, uh, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded. Man, that's hard. We hate to teach people to obey. We sometimes just want to accept, 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 and not talk about obey, 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 but that's part of our command from Jesus. Teach people to obey everything I've commanded you. And then he says, and surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. We'll talk about that, I think, the last week of the series. And finally, one passage that ties the two together. So how, do we, how does our mission and our identity tied together? Uh, 2 Corinthians 5 does a great job of doing this. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old is gone. The new is here. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Get that? Because you are a new creation, you've been given the ministry of of reconciliation because our identities in Christ we've got the mission of reconciliation that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ not counting people's sins against them and he has committed to us this message of reconciliation to us we are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us we implore you on Christ's behalf be reconciled to God God made him who had no sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God and as we close this message, we prepare to celebrate some baptisms. I just want to take a moment and acknowledge that for all of us, God has a next step for us in our faith. That our identity in Christ and our mission to make disciples of this world means that all of us, none of us, we're never done. Like all of us have a next step to take. I have a next step to take. You have a next step to take. And for you, it may be stepping into the family. For you, it may be baptizing. I don't know what that step is. And in fact, I'm not going to stand up here and tell you what it is because I'd rather you hear it from God. For some of you, you're not gonna have to think very hard because God's been calling you to do it for a long time now and you've just kept saying, no, no, no. But for many of us, we don't really know what our next step is. And part of the reason that we don't really know what our next step is is that we're just terrible listeners. And maybe God's been trying to tell us something and we don't ever create space for God to just talk to us. And I think even when we pray, sometimes when we pray, it's just, I wanna talk, I wanna talk, I wanna talk, amen. Now let's go do what I need to do. And we never make that space to pray. And so as we transition into uh, one, another worship song here and then into baptisms, I want to pray together. If you just close your eyes and bow your heads, let's pray together. And I'm just going to give you a minute of just silent music to ask this question. Ask God, what's the next step of obedience you want me to take? something for each and every person in this room that uh, you have saved us by your grace through faith and there's nothing we can do to change that there's nothing we should add to that but in response to that Lord I believe you've got something for all of us you've got a mission for all of us because of our identity in Christ you've got something great for each and every person and so I hope and I pray that you continue to speak to the people of our church over this next hour, day, and week of their lives, that you would show them the next step you have for them. 
God, show us, show us what you want us to do. Show us what's next. Show us how we can be obedient, Lord. And I trust that when we're obedient to that step, you'll show us what's next. God, we thank you. We praise you for being a good God who sent his son to die for us. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, you know, for some of you, that was a a profound moment. Like you could feel God speaking to you and uh, it was meaningful to you. Uh, for some of you, you didn't. You you maybe sat and your mind wandered and you didn't hear anything, and that's that's cool. But I want you to keep asking that question over the next week. We're gonna we're gonna uh, sing here in a minute, and sometimes that can like we can move on to the next thing. But in your mind, uh, don't move on to the next thing if God's speaking to you. I want you to keep you in that moment. We're gonna celebrate. We need to move on and finish the service out. But if you wanna. After the service, you want to talk to somebody or pray with somebody, I'll be up here. I know Jerry will be up here. Uh, We'd love to pray with you about what the Lord may be speaking to you. But first, we're going to celebrate. We're going to worship through song. So I'd love if you're able to stand and sing with us, and then we're going to celebrate some baptisms.